0: This show is part of the Darkmore Podcast Network. To join our community Discord or see more content from our members, visit darkmorepodcasts.com.
1: My name is Steven, and I play Alric Orman, a Gnome Ranger, Hexblade Warlock, and Chief Arrow of the Warden Scout in Nui Sitalis. And this is advanced
0: Last time in episode 221, our heroes sat down with the Red Capes to work out the finer details of how to overthrow a government. To make a more legitimate claim for the throne, they're following a rumor about an illegitimate daughter of the king who's been cloistered away at a monastery. As the unknown associates go to locate her in Hawa Rum, two other groups have different assignments. One will be breaking Echo Ormaine out of Moldo Keep and investigating how to stop the production of the Warforged. A third team will be waging an information war by printing propaganda materials back in Deep, And, because there's no time like the present to commit treason, the party has merely one day of rest in Deep before setting off on their adventures. And that's what we'll pick up. Alric, you and two others in the Sylvan rank are crouched in a bush, watching hordes of humans and half orcs march through the evergreen Tega forest that covers the eastern slopes of the mountain of Rorun. The army, dressed in leathers and wielding thick steel blades, haul siege weapons with them as they ascend up the long unused road to the fortress of war, which has set empty for years. Your comrade beside you whispers, They're breaking the Tranquility Pact. We've got to tell the village. I agree, and we need to move quickly and silently. You blink, and when your eyes open, you're standing on the stoop of your hovel with your close relatives. You're nervous, and you can hear the thudding of boots from the armies above, but your father places a hand on your shoulder and says, We're protected. I doubt any of them are wise enough to see through the illusion magics. If we don't give ourselves away, we're going to be fine.
1: I want to believe that to be true, but I don't have a very good feeling about this. I... This isn't a small move, Dad. It's it's kind of a big deal. Can you describe what your mother and father look like? Neither of my parents um, could be described as, like, slight. They're, they're both, like, broad-shouldered, uh, at least, at least for, as far as gnomes go, and, like, of stout build. My My dad's face is, like, weathered by time, but still very, very inviting, like were he to mean mug it would um look scary but he has such a genuine smile that it's it's really hard to to make that look scarier than it is um <clears throat> my uh, mother at this point in her life has foregone all of the effort of long hair uh and prefers something a little shorter and is also not terribly fond of wearing like dresses or anything like that so she's in a not dissimilar outfit to my father like you can see um the family resemblance i suppose in in us like we we do look like we're family um but i stand out as being a little bit more slight um and like having more
0: like effeminate um shape i suppose uh your mother is pacing and looks out across the bay and says shit look that's the callahan they're headed here for the pipeweed and they don't know about the army you blink again and you're on the muddy black beach with others in the sylvan rank and you're waving frantically at the crew of the callahan to raise anchor and leave before they're spotted you blink again and now you're drenched and you're climbing into the dinghy that was being paddled toward the malnathri shore uh you're out of breath from that swim what do you say to the three sailors that are in the dinghy
1: leave and fast There is an invasion happening.
0: A flaming ballista bolt crashes into the side of the Callahan, lighting it ablaze. Uh, And you look back at the shore to see the barbarians rushing down to the water at the Malmothry's village. You hear their war cries shouting as a storm of arrows rains down around the digging you're in. You take cover as the sailors quickly row to get out of range. And you peek up, looking across the water at your home. What do you see? What was the last image of your village?
1: People running. Um, I, I specifically take note of the fact that I cannot see my family and therefore cannot, like, be certain of their whereabouts. Um, but yeah, everyone... It's just its just total chaos. There's no even attempt at making, like, a coherent... Um, Escape is is just running,
0: gathering whatever they can in their hands, and running away. Arik, you wake up leaning against a tall pine tree. A sweet smell splits the alpine air, and you realize that Briston is offering you a cup of hot chocolate. you you fell asleep, and it was too cute for me to wake you.
1: There's this distinct moment where like I'm coming to, and like still have all of the like powerful visceral feelings of what I just remembered. And that clashes with what I am seeing of reality. That moment, like five or six seconds after you wake up and a dream still feels real. So I definitely like pause for a second, just like staring blankly and take a big breath and then take the hot chocolate. And I just say, thank you.
0: I, th- I think he shuffles in his pocket a little bit and uh, kind of checks his right pocket and gives a, a confused face and then checks his left and has like a sigh of relief uh, and pulls out two tiny trinkets. says, I, uh, I don't really know how to do this smoothly, so I'm just going to wing it. I've had these pieces for a long time. And uh, in his hand are a pair of rings. He's not engaging. He's not asking you to marry him. But but they, they are rings and both with a frosted green glass center stones fixed onto silver shanks these gems are sea glass you attune to one and then you'll always see it it's it kind of superimposes itself in the direction that it's in and i've already tuned to this one and i hope that you'll always wear it so that i can see wherever you are and know that you're okay and auric if it's if it's something you want to do you can attune to this one and i'll wear it
1: this like definitely pulls me out of this sort of stupor um, <clears throat> that I was experiencing. Uh, and I sort of giddily am like, yes, please and I, I take it and I kind of fumble with with putting it on like it's not it's not a smooth process. Uh, I like to imagine that it's a little big for my hands. Um, so I have to wear it on, let's say my middle finger like, like the ring finger is a little too too small, and so I, it's on my middle finger. What do I have to do, Joe, to attune to
0: it? Uh, it just takes like a five-minute rest or something like that, and we can do that. And you're attuning to to the one that Briston is going to wear. Okay,
1: so like by doing that, I am wearing one ring, and I can it like shows me a small window into his world, and I can see. No, it. no. What? How did it? Sorry, I'm. I
0: guess I misunderstood. So if you poke your eye right. Uh-huh. and sometimes you see little spots uh-huh. imagine that one of those spots is the color of uh the gem or the, the the sea glass that's in the ring that little spot that little frosty green spot is superimposed into your vision in the direction where the attuned ring is does that make sense so it's so like a point. skyrim yeah waypoint yeah, it's yeah. a waypoint that's waypoint. exactly
1: it i'm tracking okay so that's cool I'm, like, sort of hastily looking on myself for something that, of mine, that I can leave with Briston. Uh, and the only thing that I can find is one of the electric blue feathers that I imagine I still have. From the Tempest Uh stuff? Uh-huh. Okay, so, I've always imagined, like, I wear a little, like, armband thing, um... That's that has my Squadron Nine sigil on it, and also like has a couple of just like feathers hanging from it. It kind of always has, and I attach like blue ones to it. So I give I have one of the blue ones, and I give Briston one of them as well. They don't do anything. It's just to remember.
0: There are two different color feathers on this Squadron Nine armband of yours, um, Ulric. Can you explain for? Listeners who might not have listened to the first arc, the significance of both of those?
1: The the first one are definitely the electric blue ones that I got from a big, big thing with the, the Tempest Oath, um, who were some zealots uh, determined to uh, suppress at minimum an entire group of people, namely including me. And it had, it also had just like normal, like black crow feathers, right? Yeah. Um, which it has a lot to do with being a member of the warden scout. Um, we literally use crows as a, as a form of communication. And it also is just representative of my place as a, uh, a warden scout of now I'm chief arrow. If I recall correctly, you do recall correctly. And what is the significance of a chief arrow? Uh, I'm I'm in charge. I'm the uh, sort of head of the warden scout, and so I. Uh, and now I serve largely to protect the protected remnant, but to protect Sitalos and its people, which is what brought me on this quest in the first place. It brought me out here because Warforged, from her dearth, have been making their way into my land. And uh, I worry for my people in my home, my new home in Isotalos or new Isotalos, And so that's what brought me out here in the first place.
0: Alaris, you've been tasked with collecting Scrolls of Sending. Sending, of course, is a very useful spell that allows two parties to share a brief telepathic communique uh, and is, is fairly common among wizarding academics and would be easy enough to purchase from any outpost of the Weaver's Guild. Tragically, you're in Delft Deep, a dwarven city known for its artisanal skills as smithies and engineers, rather than its deep arcana. So you're sitting in a sort of reception area of the Legacies' Guild Hall with Gramly Steadyhand, Grimton's older brother. Yeah, there's not enough magical community here to warrant funding its own building, so the Weavers just have a tiny office here with the Legacies. Well, that's all right. It seems seem- the furniture pieces in this room are stunningly upholstered with uh, this deep purple velvet. You spot the tiny name Mata embroidered on every pillow and carved into every trunk. You hear heavy footsteps and the shuffling of a coat coming off and an out of breath panting. <sighs> I, I was told I have a visitor. I'm, I'm sorry I was late to the office. I just arrived home from a conference and haven't been back yet even to see my wife. Um, and it's a gray-haired, bespectacled dwarf who is ushering you back. Oh. Well, thank you for having us on such short notice. Oh, I was told I was just seeing one of you. Oh. Grandly not "All right, It's all yours. Okay. <laughs> and you walk back down the hall, and the plate on the office door reads, Dr. Joseph Blacktip, Weaver's Guild. And he's fumbling with his keys and opens up this, like, tiny closet with a desk crammed inside. The desk is obviously too large to have been brought into that space. It was obviously built within this tiny, tiny room. (laughs) Uh, He sets his stuff down and says, All right, one moment, I got to piss like a racehorse. Yeah, take your time. By all means. Uh, Give me a perception check. Yeah, this place is a wreck and it has all sorts of scattered documents loose on various shelves. Who knows what's buried here? Uh, And among various desk toys and a tiny framed painting of a dwarven woman that you've seen before, you spot a pamphlet lying on his desk that reads, Sacred Architecture, a Tuning Space for Influence by the Divine. You also spot a golden badge in the shape of a crown that reads Provisional Agent Customs Pass. Okay. And he's gone right now? And he's and gone in, right and now. And the desk is really cluttered? Yep. I'm just going to, like, snap those two things. All right. Give me a stealth check. Oh, wow. I rolled a 19. Uh, plus oh. one will be 20. Your haversack is kept in a convenient spot where you can just like grab and stuff without having to fumble with like any sort of zipper or buckles or anything and is over with, with plenty of time to spare when Joseph Blacktip comes back in. He says, sorry about that, son. Had to drain the main vein. <laughs> uh, what's your name? How can I help you? Uh, hello, sir. I'm, I'm Alaris, Alaris dream. And I'm just looking for some scrolls ascending. Gel dream, huh? Uh, any relationship to the legacy? Uh, Catherine? Yeah, Catherine. Uh, yeah, that, that's my mom, actually. Ha! Huh. She w- was the head speaker at this conference that I just got back from. Oh yeah, what what conference was that? <laughs> uh, he, he said it was something about sacred architecture, and you see him like shuffling around through the papers. I had the pamphlet around here somewhere. I would give it to you. Oh, that's, well, that's, not that's fun that you're related yeah but anyways yeah that's 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 what i'm here for is is scrolls ascending and let me just um he pulls out a little box and uh can you just speak your name into this alaris and your last name son gildreen and the the box like glows green all right yep looks like your your dues are paid up and if you got a guild membership, and he like reaches up into a, like a filing cabinet that's like way above his head in a really awkward position. Is like standing on his desk chair, uh, trying to get in there. Uh, how many do you need? Uh, just like two, three. Yep. Here's one, two, three, and uh, here you go. Cool. And hands it to you. Thank you, sir. You take care. Hey, what are you doing in herder? Uh, sightseeing. Deception check. Uh, that's a three. Delft Deep isn't known as a like tourist destination. That's fair. I don't know. I just kind of wound up here, I guess. Regale me, son. He sits. He leans back in his chair. It squeaks a lot, and he kicks his feet up onto the heaps of papers on his desk. Well, it's a very long story. Ah, in that case, <laughs> good on. I gotta get home and see my wife. Yeah, I I can understand that. I'm glad that the conference was good, though. Yeah, it was great, oh, man your mother is a great speaker cool woman i appreciate the compliment basically her thesis was about the use of architecture and setting a particular mood and how a space when designed well can reflect the divine and help generate a sort of like sacred mindset very fascinating stuff right at the perfect intersection of my interests yeah that sounds really awesome actually all right you have a good one mr gil jim yeah thank you sir have a good one Hey friends, it's Joe. So glad you're here with us for episode 222. Uh, These vignette episodes are always really cool for me. It's a fun tool that I can use to spotlight different characters and give them a moment that is quintessentially their own. I'd love to talk about storytelling methods like that and there's a place to do that. Um, There's a link to the Darkmoor Podcast Network's Discord channel in the show notes below. There, you'll also find wonderful DPN shows like How Friends Roll and Playing Out of Character and The Misadventures. We're a great community of friends. Thank you to each and every one of our patrons who helped make this show a possibility by covering all of our hosting costs uh, we invite donors at certain tiers to come join us for the live recording and this past week it was great to have jonah chapley with us for that he's a wonderful guy and he was actually watching the show in a lab at school so we got to see some of the masterful work that he does daily i also need to mention michael callahan who has been a massive giver to us for the last two years. In addition to the stuff that's listed on his Patreon level, I've named a ship in his honor, the Callahan, which you heard as a part of Ulrich's flashback. We're a small show, so each and every dollar that our givers donate is a substantial percentage. If you can afford to donate, we would love your help. There's a link down in the show notes. Let's get back to the episode. Thank you. Grimton, you were left as the sole adult at the in-laws suite where Tarani and Gramley stay. You're not alone. You volunteered to watch their two daughters, Merica and Mallory, who are maybe 10 years old, Uh, As Gramley explained, the museum is usually closed on the fourth day of the week, uh, and so the Steadyhand house is silent this afternoon. And we see you standing at the forge. The anvil itself is in the exact same place where it has been your entire life. You notice the worn-down pavers between the fire and the anvil. You see the embossing of the Steadyhand Herald in the black.
2: Um, I imagine uh, that... America and Mallory are just running about i'm there mostly making sure they don't injure themselves but they're pretty much doing their own thing i guess i'm just taking a, a look at the the forge uh i know that there's a very good chance i'm not going to get to come back here in the future so i guess i'm taking it all in and uh okay hold on remind me what i have and don't have because
0: I took something from Gorbring's uh we could say that Grimton went back to uh Gorbring's tomb and at the tomb was as has been mentioned in the before in the show a a cast that your father made when he was doing some like fun sculpting yeah uh he made a cast of the steady hand crest And in Gorbring's sarcophagus was a black obsidian fist that is removable and you've seen having fallen out before. Those are the two specific items that I have mentioned before. Um, And in retrospect, you can have whatever you want.
2: So I'm definitely going to try to work this obsidian fist into the cast that my father made. I'm actually going to go over to... America and Mallory. Hey You kids want to help uh, your uncle Grimton with something real quick.
0: Yeah, of course I can't wait to tell all my friends at school about how uncle mm, Grimton
2: came to play. Mm,
0: maybe don't do that But why they'd be so excited uh, uh, you could be my show-and-tell
2: Here's the thing kiddo. It's probably better for you if no one knows that your uncle Grimton stopped by So you see this thing here? He says like tossing the obsidian fist in his hand a little bit. Yeah, I'm gonna get the forge going. While I do that, he throws it into, uh, what's it called? One of those barrels? You and Mallory stand here, and the goal is to break this down. So just keep spinning this barrel around. The faster you get it going, the better. The more you break up the rock, the better it's gonna be for me, alright?
0: Shit, what are those called? Um. Yeah, I forgot the name. Ball mill picture in your head the barrel thing as yes put it <laughs> is uh like a giant bingo spinner yeah okay it's it's got steel bearings in it and is used to break down whatever's inside uh and so basically that oh. will pulverize the fist i'm sure after a quick demonstration because of course grimton is as good of a teacher as gorbring was the the girls pick it right up And are having a great time at it.
2: Meanwhile, I'm trying to get this forge as hot as I can physically handle working over it. Mm -hmm. Because I know that it's going to be a tough job trying to melt this thing down even after it's been pulverized. And trying to get it into this cast.
0: What type of roll do you do for artisanal (laughs) stuff? Give me a hipster check. (laughs) (laughs) Just a straight d20 roll and uh, add your proficiency bonus, which I believe is four at this point? Three, still, I think 80. it's still three. Yeah,
2: I think it's still three. 16?
0: You're able to get it going at a pretty timely manner. All it takes is a substantial amount of work in the bellows and the right amount and type of fuel to burn. How hot do you want it? You're just
1: going to throw that one on him? He's just going to have to like either pick something totally arbitrary. No,
2: no. I'm let me, I, This is a quick Google Google search away. Oh, nice. Because like, <laughs> Joe definitely
0: researched this. In prep for this,
2: I'm getting it to 2000 degrees (laughs) Fahrenheit. So,
0: for our non American people, that's uh 1100 ish degrees Celsius.
2: What's the progress that America and Mallory have made? Except it's pretty powdery. I'm gonna combine this obsidian powdery stuff, I'm gonna cut it with some salt to lower the melting point so that even if the forge ends up cooling off a bit like it should still be able to melt down the obsidian make it workable mm-hmm. well after it's all mixed up i'm gonna start working it into the forge we'll get it malleable at least i guess and i'm gonna try pouring it into the cast that my father
0: the made the crucible yeah we missed a spot we missed a spot first you have to pour oh yeah put the mixture into a crucible gotcha yeah and then heat the crucible
3: what the heck is a crucible
0: because if it's not heated it's a play about witches that's what i thought it was uh i guess we see grimton working a pair of tongs yeah and pouring a pouring the crucible of obsidian into the the cast your father made uh it's being set and this is a very uh precarious point why is that well if the
2: obsidian cools too quickly it's liable to crack and the entire thing is going to be ruined basically so it's important to mitigate how fast it cools by insulating it somehow Mm -hmm. and then letting how are you doing that so what i'm envisioning is i'm going to put the obsidian into the forge and let the fire burn out naturally. So the scene is going to cool as the forge cools.
0: Clever. And I'm going to okay.
2: bring Mallory and Merica out of the room. Ushering them into like the room over oh, just <laughs> for safety. Because
0: kids yeah. tend uh, to do Give me things. a d20 roll. Just straight. 17 plus whatever I need to have. Yeah, plus proficiency. That's a non-nat 20, right? Yeah. This process, which... You only know the theory of, have never practiced. Yeah. It goes surprisingly well. A few hours later, Grimton, you've got an obsidian cast of your family's crest.
2: Do I recall seeing this crest like on the forge
0: anywhere? When you bent down to pick the hammer up yeah, off of I the first ground, there. you noticed an embossing of the shield in the anvil itself
2: i'm hoping that my father had the foresight to hide away Gorbring's techniques somewhere on the premises and i'm going to try to place the crest onto the embossing not knowing what's going to happen if anything
0: you place the crest onto the embossing and it clicks i think the paver that the anvil itself is sitting on raises up a little bit, yeah, and begins to like move to the side, and reveals a six-sided hexagonal room directly below, and the light shines in and reveals a statue of a dragon standing proudly on a small anvil. And there's maybe um, like a six-foot drop down into this chamber.
2: There's no stairs or anything no stairs i'm gonna take some rope and <laughs> <laughs> yes with these grimton. rope
1: plans yes sorry grimton with these rope plans I mean,
2: this one seems fairly obvious but okay <laughs> i'm just gonna <laughs> tie some rope and lower it so i can climb down there and have a way to climb back up
0: i'm not six feet tall you get down there and the this dragon you know is a representative of bahamut And with your dwarven jeans, you can smell the purity of its glistening platinum. The figure looks heroically into your own eyes, uh, its chest out and head up, standing on an ancient anvil that is well-worn and was retired with honor, a fine memorial to the dwarf father. The paladin in you senses that this space is consecrated. It's a holy space.
2: I didn't know about this space or haven't even heard about it. This is I guess this is Grimton's inner monologue. Mhm. And as far as I knew, I'm not sure if Gorbring was a follower of Bahamut's ways or my father for that matter. So he's going to step forward and try to more closely inspect the anvil and the statue.
0: It it's apparent enough. You find dwarven runes written on the podium, uh scrawled in chalk in Gorbring's handwriting. Mm. All of one's actions reflect their true nature. And you look up from the script, and the walls of this hexagonal room have turned into mirrors. Directly in front of you, you see yourself. Not the Grimton in disguise that's dressed as a young hip dwarf, but the Grimton beneath the cloak. You look into your wrinkled face and down to your gray beard uh, your adventuring life has changed your body some you look more muscular than you did the last time you really looked at yourself in a reflection yeah below your left knee in numerous dents and scratches that cover your prosthetic your reflection speaks uh, as if to contemplate his three centuries of life and yes uh, i asked you to write a paragraph some time ago about grimton's character will you read that for us yeah and if you other three could have your own.
1: Mm. Pulled up? yep, The ones about Grimton?
0: Is that why you keep sending it to me? I want you to be have it ready.
2: This is just the one you sent, right? Most recently? Yeah, right. I, which you wrote. I just yeah. sent it to you. My youth was a blur of family and tradition my adolescence and indoctrination to the kingdom of her dearth and all its treasure. All the actions of my young adulthood were meant to bring honor to my country and family. I fought bravely alongside my brother and for my grandfather. That portion of my life is one of my proudest. During the Red Capes, leaving her dearth was not because I stopped loving my kingdom, but rather because the kingdom I loved was on the brink of being lost. Dulce decorum es por patria mori. I believe every action I've taken has put me on a path to reclaiming her dearth for forces of good and will continue forth with resolve.
0: Grimton, this hexagonal room shows infinite figures in its mirrors, but it's not just you in those reflections or the reflections of those reflections. As you turn, you find yourself surrounded by your companions and your allies. You look your father into the eyes for the first time in over a century and he smiles back he says full of honor and a heck of a smith the clan's steady hand lives on in this one your mother says he was a good boy his life will bring happiness your brother gramley says braver than most perhaps recklessly so but righteous in his conviction you see uh, mirrors of america and Mollory who are both smiling and laughing and at- Memories of you.
1: Grimton, you are, in no uncertain terms, a man of conviction. You adhere to your faith with vigilance and dole out justice in accordance with its divine guidance. I can say only that I am glad I am on this side of that justice, for I firmly believe if I were to shift sides, even our friendship would not save me from your radiant blade. You are a person I associate with severity. You are both as playful as you are fiercely aimed at your goals. I am not certain if you are capable of moderation in anything.
3: You believe in justice for all people. You fiercely fight to free your people from their cruel ruler regardless of where it takes you. I've never seen anyone fearlessly run headlong into conflict. You can. You're a leader on the battlefield and off. You also know how to party. You are a
0: strong, capable fighter. You have strong beliefs and seem to really want what's best for the people you care about. You have the ability to inspire those around you and rally them to a cause. On the other hand, you can sometimes be a little headstrong and rush into things, especially battle. And you don't always think things through all the way. You also have this weird fascination with rope and thinking you can solve every situation. Eric Ormain says, without a doubt, the best of friends, second only to another Ormain. Your righteousness is strong. Briston says, hell of a man and a companion to the end. Echo, who you haven't seen in months, says, incredibly sacrificial. Callie Orlick says, strong willed and resolved. You're a true leader. Allreal says, dude, you never give up. <laughs> Next B says, you're a tremendously hard worker with fierce tenacity, Lieutenant Colonel Try says. One hell of a leader, strong, courageous, defender of noble virtues, Elder Fallhide. Your help saved our community and brought it new life. talkis says. Apparently, you can kill dragons without much issue. Orlander Beachtail says. You're scum, but damn it, you can put up a fight. And then there are the countless new East Italians and the dwarven refugees who are all describing you as heroic. And Grimton, you spend and eventually you make a full revolution, returning to face where you had once seen yourself. And your heart sinks when you lock eyes with the withered aged face of a proud dwarf, now reflected in your place. This is the first time you've seen your grandfather Gorbring, outside of paintings in a century and a half. Grimton, my grandson, you're strong, impatient, full of action, full of dwarven pride and friendship, full of righteous conviction and honored word. Plain, I see you tramping with the foremost, taking up the task eternal and the burden and the lesson, you resolve to see a newer world, a varied world, fresh and new the world you seek. Down the tunnels, through the passes, up the mountain steep, piercing the wicked and the evil from the cloud-capped peaks gigantic and from the mines deep within. Oh, my restless, restless grandson. I am wrapped with love and pride for your life and his reflection holds out his hands and, and it is a notebook
2: his reflection holds out a notebook
0: i reach out and grab it you see on the cover that it's scrawled manuscripts of sword and axe play and you look back up and the mirrored walls now reflect only you an infinite amount of times
2: i think Grimpton is still trying to wrap his head around what happened but there's definitely a couple solemn tears like running down his cheek not sad just full of emotion he's going to tuck away the manuscripts and once he's had enough reflection he's going to leave the mirror room
0: Morlinde, you're standing around the dining table of Kirk Fulport's house. To your left is Herrick Ormain, to your right is Tarani Fulport, and then across the table from you is Callie Orlick, who's bent over her notebook. She slams her notebook down and says, all right, here's what we know about Tori Anvar. One, he's a legacy to a family that made a shit ton of money designing valves and pneumatics, Number B, he's still got a shit ton of money coming in and is pretty philanthropic about it. His foundation helped Briston feeding the homeless and gives scholarships to kids and apprenticeships and like covers their dues for the legacies and all that. Number C, and perhaps most importantly, one of those philanthropies was the purchase of new textbooks for the schools here. It was cheaper for the Keepers of Traditions to just send over the printing plates and then to print those tomes here. Well... Tori Ambar bought a bunch of those printing machines in order to facilitate it. But, this was right at the beginning of Grey Sunder's reign, some officials from the kingdom came to vet those texts and then shattered many of the plates and burned a lot of the texts. So, we need to figure out how to turn all that knowledge that we have about Toromir Ambar into a pitch. Any questions, Eight? Because you're going to be the lead in this.
3: Um... Who's Tormir Ambar again? Was <laughs> that the rich guy? Yeah.
0: That was the rich guy. Got it. Okay. Yes, that's why we're here, Morlinda.
3: <laughs> it's been a long day. Okay, so we what are we trying say it all again. Like I understand the pitch, but I don't understand the context because I'm two episodes behind on Like
0: As you're like. Looking up in exhaustion, you see that the ceiling fan uh, has Mata branded on it.
3: Yeah, I,
1: I love that actual magic had to be spent on a ceiling fan because it's definitely <laughs> not operating like on electricity. Like yeah. this, is, this is definitely
0: it's a- dwarven. It's it's got it's got a uh, pneumatic engine going. <laughs> yeah, it's so that it's steam powered. It's steam powered. It's right. Just, uh, it's
2: coming out of the ceiling, and the wind is moving it. So when it's windy outside, it's... Oh, uh, <laughs> see, I was going for,
1: it, like, based on what Joe just said, it being, like, loudly mechanical. <laughs> like, yeah, you, you hear the piston working. <laughs> yeah,
0: like, just like, I don't know. So you're either Sorry. hot or
2: deaf, but not both.
0: <laughs> Tarani speaks, Look, we don't have enough time to go over all that again. We've got like 15 minutes until my dad comes in from his pipe break, and like all old men, he gets fussy without his afternoon nap. So let's get going. What's the problem? What are the red capes doing to address it? And why do the red capes need Tori as our sugar daddy? Uh,
3: oh, well, okay, so we need his money. Duh. And I said he has a bunch of printing equipment? Yes. So it's not really the why do we need it, but how are we going to get to it? Yes. Okay, because it's obviously we need it. Um,. Well, who has any connections to him? Like, does anybody actually have any connections to him, or is he just some guy we know is rich?
0: Tarani sighs and says, yeah, my dad and him were high school buds.
3: Okay, can we use that, or is that going to be, is that going to get us in trouble?
0: We already discussed this at the meeting earlier this morning. Says oh, yes. Callie. Were you not paying attention?
3: Uh, clearly, <laughs> clearly, I was not. I must have still been uh, meditating at that point. When can we get in contact with him and how can we be discreet about that? Like me as an elf, I don't know if I just want to walk up and talk to this guy. So how can we use the connections we have to like make that connection in person and also still discreetly?
0: Tarani says, my dad said earlier this morning that he's already got a meeting lined up to meet with him.
3: Does Tormir know that this is a Red Cape meeting?
0: Uh, I I don't know, but
3: okay. he knows
0: Toromir has in the books that my dad is going to be talking some sort of business with him.
3: Okay. Oh, I know exactly what to do, okay. So this guy should have enough of a beef uh, over his burned books. He's clearly a lover of education, so, and if you like education, you probably believe in free speech. Um, so we should really push this as like a, like a freedom of speech and freedom of um, uh, assembly issue. Lol, teaching Bill of Rights this week, um, <laughs> so I'm like all up in know your rights. But back in character, the I think the best way we can push this, is, and we want we want to use his printing presses basically, right, and have somebody funding stuff like that. Yep. So really, this is a, a an issue about education and having access to all all information. I'm sure that he's really upset about the fact that he like paid for the whatever textbook he paid for because that was the information that he thought everyone needed to know and they took that away. So I think that we could really push the issue of let's get as much information to the people as possible, like don't keep anything in the dark. I think we could really push that issue with him for him to say yeah sure I'll print your flyers, Uh, yes I can print XYZ and maybe we can he can help us uh, do that and distribute it in, in like a discreet way. Under the guise of getting information out and educating people. Tirani
0: says, okay, so how can we put that into a uh, more succinct, here's the problem, here is our solution.
3: The problem is that people are being kept in the dark and they're not educated on what's going on.
0: And the yes. solution is... The solution and it is, is... Yes, and it is on purpose because of... In Grace under. Good. Okay. So that identifies Grace under as the issue, uh, who we know to be his a villain in his eyes as well as ours.
3: So the solution is to provide uh, information about what is really going on to the public through texts of various sorts printed on the printing presses. Right. That could be that could be anything because like you can print anything on a printing press. So it, like the biggest worry I think he would have was getting caught.
0: Yes. And he
3: is under that will be a financial issue for him. Whatever we print, it has to be very on the down low and very purposeful. And so we need to be able to pitch that it will not get linked back to him.
0: Herrick says, "All right, could we set up a sort of like shell company, maybe to like purchase." printing presses from him so that like they are no longer officially property of ambar pressurized plumbing
3: mm-hmm. i think i think that could work it's kind of like getting a like a dummy bank account to, like, right. send stuff to so they don't know it's necessarily yours this is like a dummy printing press factory
0: right grimton mentioned before uh how rich people always have bank accounts over and alvadar so
3: <laughs> the i mean yeah so yeah that's the same thing
0: And we would be able to, we could set up the shell company and we could probably even get AMBAR to give us the printing presses for free and de facto for free. Uh But we would also need to like legitimize that in some sort of payment. What could we use as that payment? Or maybe just like an IOU, I don't know. When Grey Sunder is going back and looking and is auditing AMBAR pressurized plumbing, and sees that there was a purchase for these printing presses. There would be an expectation that there would also be a payment for these purchase presses.
3: Can we just say say we did, but not pay them? That happens.
0: Sure. Uh, I suppose little money laundering, whatever.
3: I mean, like i i don't I don't deal in a lot of money, so that's really more of a guess than a possible solution. But it seems to make sense to me.
0: I'm just asking questions. It's going to be up to you in the moment to like work it all out. So just be prepared that that's one of the th- questions that will be asked.
3: <laughs> right. That
0: will be on the test. <laughs> Tarani asks, uh, so I'm sure speaking of the like finances of Ambar Pressurized Plumbing, what sort of return on investment what sort of roi would app be receiving out of this deal with the red capes freedom (laughs) yeah okay can you put it in a more concrete term i mean Uh, like it doesn't have to be like money sort of investment stuff yeah
3: no just a, a a more free and more educated and informed society um i also think that it might be better for free enterprise because the uh, government might not have so much control over your money and where it goes. Because isn't the government... Isn't Grace Under starting to take control of certain industries? Yeah. Uh, And so there were some families that used to own stuff and have a bunch of money, but then he, like, consolidated them or something?
0: Right, yeah. he, He bought out our family's mine. So
3: how do you know that, like, APP isn't next? I do think this... Is a way to bring back that like free enterprise that maybe had been happening and isn't happening so much anymore. Mm. And I don't want to say like APP is next because it's not necessarily a very thing for the good of the society and the good of him and his money. I mean, Grace Under can't be good for business. Who is Grace Under good for business? I'm sure he's good for business for somebody.
0: I mean, from what we know about Warforged, it's run on pneumatics, which is. Oh. A- Ambar pressurized plumbing's whole thing. Oh. So there's a chance.
3: Grace under is good for business.
0: There's a chance that the war are good for business. Mm.
3: Um,
0: so if that's the case, how can we counter that? I would really like to throw something out there,
1: but I'm not there. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna just like chill here and resist the urge to say things. You'll
0: all be there for uh, the real pitch. Don't worry.
3: Okay. <laughs> Good, because...
0: These are all just questions to consider. I don't know.
3: Well, consider them considered. And I'm going to put a pin in that and come back to it. Uh, are we Are we having this conversation today?
0: Uh, and at that, the back door to the porch opens up and Kirk walks in and he says, Yep, it's today. We set it up for just an hour from now. Oh, my God. <laughs> all right, I'm done with my smoke and I'm ready for my afternoon nap. Get out of my house.
2: How do you feel about a satirical YouTube channel called Chad Talks, which is like TED Talks, but not? Oh,
1: okay. are, you, are you asking because you want me to participate because I'm down? Are you a Chad? <laughs> no. No,
0: like, no <laughs> but like... We have to hire real Chad. Yeah. No, okay, we, okay. We,
2: can, we can play Chad and Kyle type characters. You, you,
0: yeah, it can be satire. I right? think no, I can look you.
1: like a Chad if I wanted to.
2: Anyway, no, I was just spitballing, you know, one of those lightbulb moments. Someone said TED Talks earlier, and... Hey, Chad, <laughs> how
1: do you feel... Yes, he wants to start a YouTube channel that's like TED Talks, but for Chads,
0: and it's called so, Chad, Chad Talks. See, everyone is, is for the so, Chad Talks. He's down. Okay, so can we just go ahead and lay copyright claim, like, <laughs> <On chat>. Chad <laughs> Talks, copyright, Yessie Lemus, or chad talks copyright darkmore podcast network (laughs) (laughs) can it be our our ip at least yeah this is a patreon stretch goal this is dibs this is a universal (laughs) dibs okay
1: yeah i defend (laughs) dibs to an absurd degree so in in my in my school at lunch we watch well now we're on legend of Korra because we finished avatar um and my office is a tiny space Right, and so, like, there's, like, five to seven kids in there at any moment, and we're all crammed in there, so dibs matter, and, like, I'm... Seatbacks? Yeah, whatever whatever we call it, like, Seat Savers, Dibs, whatever, it gets all kinds of names. I don't care what it is. If I see it happen, if I see a kid save a seat, I will defend that kid, and i would be like, no, this person had it. Get out. (laughs)
0: Like... (laughs)
1: Can you cut both of those cuss words out? Like, I, I just, I try to not cuss, and I especially don't want to cuss this early in the episode, like. Above the table, it took me a lot longer and I'm proud of to recognize this as a flashback, because, like, I definitely listened to the most recent episode, like, yesterday, and I was like, man, I'm lost.
0: <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, she, she w- was the head speaker at this conference that I just got back from. Oh, yeah? What, what conference was that?
1: She gave a Chad talk. <laughs> <laughs> a... Thank you, I was waiting. <laughs> I can see it. I can see it on your face, Yezzy, and that's why I had to say it.
3: My nose is just like a waterfall.
1: You could always just do our normal thing of forgetting we're in 5e and do some 4 skill. <laughs> hey, Steven?
0: Yeah. I, I would have a, a, a better insult, but it would require using a word that we can't say on this PG-13 podcast. The, is the word that follows that one directly off? Yes. Or perhaps okay. yourself. Uh, I'm tracking. <laughs>
3: <laughs> well, does it matter if my microphone is here or here?
0: Nope. Sounds the same to me.
3: Here or here?
0: Uh-huh. Oh. Nope. Sounds
1: the same. Which one makes you feel more stylish?
3: Oh, uh, probably this one, because it looks like an antenna sticking out of my head. This one, you can really hear the post nasal drip, though, oh, I feel like.
0: Sarah and I are going camping this weekend.
2: Nice. Hey. hey. Nice.
0: We're going to Meridian State Park, and we've got an incredible campsite, like, right on the lake. It's going to be so good.
3: Is there going to be fall colors there, because, uh, Texas doesn't have those where I live.
0: Probably not. I mean, if there's going to be fall colors in Texas, it's gonna be in mid-November.
3: Well, the so. world's
1: telling itself apart. So. Sorry. I thought I
0: turned it off. Stop snoozing it. I just going to reread that. really off.
3: Go for it. Joe, here's what
0: we know about what.
1: I just want to this say thing? that's one of my absolute favorite poems, and I really appreciated you for doing that. I don't know if that was just for me, but it felt like it was, and I appreciate it.
0: It was written knowing you that you would recognize uh, Pioneer Oh Pioneer <laughs> by Walt Whitman, Walt Whitman, which is one of uh, my favorite th- memories with you, Stephen, is like my freshman year of college risk-canting Walt Whitman. <laughs> Loudly, as I recall. Loudly. <laughs> yes. Proudly. For we cannot tarry here. We must march, my darling. We, the useful sinewy races, all the rest on us depend. Problematic Pioneer. as heck. Oh, because yeah. Because it's absolutely about westward expansion and manifest destiny. Oh, yeah. But gross. I'll be damned. Yeah, it was super gross. But, but like, I'll be damned if it doesn't give me that, like, powerful, convictious feeling of, like serious drive Mm -hmm. like it's it's the first poem that really made me feel something
1: yeah did you um
0: do you remember the levi's commercial that had it
1: yes i do (laughs) it was i was i have never felt more compelled (laughs) to purchase jeans i already (laughs) wanted than that commercial (laughs) i'm sorry i (laughs) know yeah when you were when you started doing that i was like this is this what I oh my god and like I was over here <laughs> having a moment with this poem but like that was Yessie's moment and Grimton's moment so I didn't want to say anything but I used Sarah's alarm going off as my chance to comment on it.
0: <laughs> Callie talking no I'll say Grimton can we um not Grimton <laughs> Gorbring can we you mean Briston
3: yeah Herrick? no
0: well. Herrick uh, yes, and then Herrick. <laughs> Jesus War Christ.
3: Back I got too death. many dwarves.
2: Who's <laughs> Herrick? New from Hasbro.